Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast episode. So in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about feelings of inadequacy because I think that this does – look, it, it is a little bit slash very related to feelings of insecurity, but inadequacy is uh, – I'm getting a little bit more specific on what inadequacy is. And a lot of people feel this towards where they think they should be and they feel like they're falling short or they feel like they're a failure or they feel like they're not good enough. In particular, this normally comes down to feeling like you're falling short in the eyes of a particular person or in the eyes of a certain group of people. Um, this is really common with feelings of inadequacy towards a parent. Often it's the parent of the same sex in general, um, feeling like you're letting that one parent down. It could be that you feel like you're always being um, compared to a sibling and therefore you feel inadequate next to a sibling. So that's why I feel like inadequacy is a little bit more like, like it's its own topic separate to feelings of insecurity. Okay, so I'm going to go way more, you know, I'm going to delve into that a whole lot more. But before we get into that, just a life update. Um, look, nothing too major to update you guys on, but I did want to touch on something and it's my merchandise. I have not forgotten about the merchandise. I promise. Can you believe that my manager Maddie and I have been working on this for months now? There's just so many delays. Everything just takes so much longer than you think it's going to take. Then you've got to get like, we've got all the designs done up. The samples have been made. We've now come back with some corrections on the samples. So trust me, they are coming. But it's just like, I literally feel like I've been talking about this for over a year and I'm so annoyed at even myself. I'm annoyed at even hearing myself talk about this. But it's so close to being here. We have hats, beanies, sweaters, tees. Like it's going to be sick. I just can't wait for it to be finished, the final product. And I, I just have an idea in my head, a really clear image of what I want it to be, the specific quotes that I wanted to use. And it's so close to coming together now. The first sample is just so close to where we want it. Just some minor changes. Once we approve it, then we can get the samples made and, and delivered. So very excited for that. Anyway, before we get into the topic of today, the brain fact of today, which is all about the circadian rhythm. Okay, so the circadian rhythm. Firstly, why is it called circadian Rhythm circadian because it comes from the Latin circa, which means around, like like near, around, and diem, day, so circadian. Uh, only diem is with an M and circadian is with an N. So circadian rhythm, it's a 24-hour cycle that is built into us. And it's based around two things. It's based, based around your internal body clock, like you've got a master clock within your body, which is the internal body clock. And then you've kind of got like a mini clock in pretty much all your cells, um, which produce neurotransmitters, hormones, chemicals, etc. Um, but it's also based around stimulus from the outside. Primarily, we're talking about light and the kind of light that's entering your eyes um, when you talk about like blue light and red light and all of that. So it's based around that, basically like wake, sleep, day, night, okay? It is resettable in the sense that if you were to move to another country or even holiday to another country, you can kind of reset that circadian rhythm to that new daylight cycle, but it is a 24-hour cycle that your body relies on. And the more consistency you can have within this cycle, the healthier you are going to be 
overall in pretty much every aspect, okay? So it is very important to tune into this circadian rhythm. It's very important to understand it and to harness your awareness of this to actually um, improve pretty much every area of your life. You're going to improve your hormone release. You're going to improve your energy levels, um, your focus, productivity, overall health, everything, okay? Now, how does it happen? Like how does our brain decide to set this kind of clock of when we're going to fall asleep, when we're going to be awake and set this thing in stone so it happens on repeat? There is this nucleus, a nucleus is basically like a bundle of cells, called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And it's these cells in the hypothalamus and they get information. Hypothalamus is like in the middle of your brain, part of the brain in the middle. And these cells get information from cells in the retina, so in your eye. There's these particular cells, these ganglion cells, and they have this photopigment which sense blue light. Okay, well, they can, you know, there's different ganglion cells, different cells which sense different light. But this particular ganglion cell or these ganglion cells are called melanopsin, okay? Now these melanopsin, they sense this blue light, which is kind of the light that's going to keep you awake, like daylight, technology, shit like that. And it creates a signal and this signal is then transmitted from the retina, from these ganglion cells, it's transmitted through the cells to this nucleus in the hypothalamus called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And it's it's transmitted through a tract, like a pathway, called the retinohypothalamic tract. Now, what I find great about biology, especially within the brain, I don't know that much about biology in the body, but biology within the brain is that a lot of the tracks are labelled based on origin and destination. So it's it, definitely not all of them, but it, it really helps you understand which direction the information is traveling based on how the tract is labeled, okay? So in this case, it's retino from the retina to hypothalamic to the thalamus, right? So you've got, well, the hypothalamus. So you've got retino hypothalamic tract. You know exactly which direction it's traveling, origin, destination. And if you study the brain, you're going to see that that's kind of like a theme in a lot of the names for the tracks descending and ascending tracks. So back to what we're talking about, we're talking about information that's being sent from the eyeball to this nuclei nuclei called the suprachiasmatic nuclei, which is within the hypothalamus, or it's, it's just above the hypothalamus actually. Now, by knowing what the suprachiasmatic nuclei is, it helps you understand kind of the functions of it. So this nuclei is what really helps regulate your circadian rhythm or one of the things that helps regulate your circadian rhythm. And nuclei, like I said, it's a bundle of cells or neurons. Chiasmatic is because it is above the chiasm, the optic chiasm. So there's a part in the brain where the optic tracks, so all the where all the kind of nerves and information from each eyeball enter through the brain through these thick tracks. They enter through the brain and then they cross over. There's this very, very, very distinct X in the middle of the brain and then it crosses over where 50% of each eye's information goes to the other side of the brain and 50% of each eye's information stays on the, the same side of the brain. But there's this big X mark. And if you've ever dissected a brain, that um, optic chiasm is very, very clear. You can identify it a mile away. Um, so that's the chiasm. That's the optic chiasm. And the nuclei, this suprachiasmatic nuclei sits above that chiasm. So when your eyes, when light comes in, 
This nuclei is right near that section of the brain because the information is entering from the eyes and then it's right near the hypothalamus which takes care or is one of the things that takes care of this circadian rhythm that helps us stay awake and fall asleep and all of that. So it's very, very closely linked to the light that's entering the eyes, especially daylight, blue light, that's helping us, you know, bang, it it enters that part of the brain, the chiasm, and then you're wide awake. So supra on top of suprachiasmatic nuclei. Now, based on how much light is being detected, this nuclei sends information to the pineal gland um, on like day and night. And the pineal gland is in the epithalamus. Then based on this, we then get a release of melatonin. Okay, so when there's less of this blue light or no blue light at all, and when it's roughly following that 24-hour clock, we get a release of melatonin, okay, to help us fall asleep. Melatonin helps helps the onset of sleep, okay? But this melatonin is not present at all when there's either a lot of light or when we're, you know, like wide awake in daylight and when it's during the day. Unless you're overly tired, super fatigued or jet lagged, you're not going to be getting this melatonin unless you're trying to fall asleep. Now, other things that are going to help with sleep, your sleep-wake cycle is things like your body temperature and also cortisol. Cortisol levels are going to be the highest in the morning and then they're going to be the lowest when you're about to fall asleep and when you're sleeping. Now, when I talk about cortisol, if you guys have listened to my episode about stress and the effects on the brain, I talk about chronically high levels of cortisol. This is different. Cortisol is obviously very important for performance, for fight or flight, for that kind of stuff. But we always have cortisol being released in cycles throughout the day, okay? The issue with cortisol is when we're stressed and we have higher levels of cortisol at all times. That's the problem. And this is not, this idea of having higher cortisol in the morning is not a bad thing. That's what helps you kind of get your energy levels up, activated, wake up, bang, ready to start the day, okay? So this is a good kind of cortisol where the levels are higher in the morning. So you've got this internal clock. And if you're normally tired around the same time every day, a lot of people it's 3 p.m., that is your circadian rhythm taking care of that. Now, like I said before, all your cells pretty much have this little clock in them as well. So it's like most of your cells are following this circadian clock. So different parts of the body and different cells are doing what they need to be doing at the right time of the day and not at random. So certain releases of hormones, certain releases of neurotransmitters, things are going to be better at certain times of the day and weaker or not really efficient at all at other times of the day. Now your circadian rhythm also regulates, like I said, it regulates your hormones and your metabolism. And in particular, with the hunger hormones and the fullness hormones, so we've got leptin and ghrelin. If your circadian rhythm is completely out of whack and you're not sleeping at the times that your body is asking for you to sleep and it's not consistent, then your metabolism is going to be not great. It's going to be a lot slower and the hormone release around hunger and fullness is going to be thrown out of whack. So that's why shift workers have a much higher rate of obesity than people that are not shift workers. There's also a higher rate in mood disorders, in stress and in, of course, sleep disorders. And the reason for this is that when you When your sleep is fucked and you're tired, it's kind of like a a double effect. Number one, you're more likely to eat more during the day and feel hungry because your body is seeking these quick bursts of energy. If you're fatigued but sleep is not an option, your body's quite intelligent. It's going to say, okay, well, you're not letting me sleep. I need energy. Bang. Give me something that's quick. Give me like a sugar, a carbohydrate, something that I can use now, okay? So you're going to be more inclined to want to gravitate towards those foods and more often if you're tired. 
And then the other thing is that you're less likely to release, you know, this to feel these feelings of fullness, which is um, leptin, which is the hormone that decreases your appetite. You're less likely to have a healthy release of these hormones. So these hormones are out of whack. You're also tired. You're seeking these quick fixes. And then when you do seek those quick fixes, you're probably going to eat more of them. Even snacking before bed is not really, it has been shown to be like not great because your body is not looking for energy when it's trying to fall asleep. And when you eat just before bed, unless you're exhausted, you are probably going to struggle to fall asleep. So eat whatever you want to eat, but make sure that you're ideally not eating about an hour. And if possible, a lot more than that. Two hours is, you know, kind of what you want to be aiming for to not eat two hours prior to sleep. That's kind of best case scenario because you don't want to be giving your body energy that's kind of encouraging your body to then want to use up or burn just before you're trying to fall asleep. So it's literally like you create this vicious cycle of you're tired all day long, you're snacking, you're eating, you haven't had time to eat during the day, you then eat just before bed, you go to bed, you get a shit sleep, your circadian rhythm's fucked, you get up and it's just this fucked cycle. So the, ain't the best way to regulate your circadian rhythm, number one, is keep your bedtime as consistent as possible. That's the first thing you want to do. You want to try and aim for as much consistency as possible. Find your ideal sleep time and have the start time to be the same time, give or take half an hour every single day, or at least Monday to Friday or Monday, Sunday to Friday, whatever. Okay. So once you've got that, then you want to look at your sleep hygiene. Like what are you doing around your sleep? So you don't want to be eating very close to your bedtime. Keep it like two hours out. You also want to limit your screen time before bed, that blue light, because that uh, those ganglion cells that I was telling you about, the melanopsin ganglion the photopigment within the ganglion cells called melanopsin, they're they're specifically primed for blue light, okay? If you you have something that's like a red light or an orange light, they're not going to fire. So they're not going to be sending wakefulness signals like they would with blue light. So if you have blue light blockers and red light things and whatever, that's obviously a lot better. A lot of people like to have an orange or a red light in their bedroom instead of this bright, you know, white light because that's going to be way too stimulating. So that's another thing you can do. If you're somebody that struggles to fall asleep, I would recommend you don't have any devices in your bedroom. Everyone's different. If you're someone that bang, you go to sleep straight away, whatever. But if you struggle to fall asleep, I want you to watch your movie on the couch. Then take yourself to bed. Your bedroom should be an oasis just for sleep. And then everything's dim lights, no technology, no phones, no screens, whatever. If you can't sleep with silence, you can put like a sound on, a podcast, white noise, whatever, to help you kind of doze off, but nothing that's going to be stimulating the the visual pathways, okay? Um, What else? Um, Check the temperature. If it's too hot and you're overheating, that's going to make you struggle to fall asleep. You want the room to be a little bit cooler. You can have warm covers, of course, but that it's slightly cooler so you're not kind of restless in your sleep by overheating. Um, and then also pay attention to stimulants like caffeine. Um, if you're really sensitive with caffeine, you want to make sure that your last coffee or your last hit of caffeine is pretty early on in the day. Like I've got a friend that's not going to drink coffee after midday because she claims that it's going to affect her sleep. Um, Whereas Tyrone and I will be drinking, you know, an Arabic coffee half an hour before bed and it doesn't affect us. So you've got to find what works for you and what does not work for you. And then lastly, the darker your bedroom, the better. So if, again, if you struggle with sleep, 
Get your room as pitch black as possible. You want no light entering. Things are going to start to improve and you're not going to be that, you know, sensitive to all these little things. But doing all these things is going to go a long way in help in helping you create a bit of a, um, a ritual around your circadian rhythm and that's going to kind of clear it up. As far as naps, if you're going to nap, naps are great. Sleep is always going to be good. But if you're going to nap, make sure that the nap ends around, depending what time you go to bed, but around 3 p.m. You want to leave a decent amount of time between the end of your nap and the start of your night's sleep because if your nap is too close to your night's sleep you're kind of fucking with this circadian rhythm and you're kind of when you should be going to bed you're now wide awake and then you don't want to be awake for too much of the night time because then you're fucking up that day night light dark cycle okay that is all let's get straight into the topic of today Okay, so we're talking today about inadequacy, feelings of inadequacy. So this feeling of, like I said earlier, it's this feeling of not being good enough and it can be across the board, but for a lot of people who suffer these feelings of inadequacy, it's normally towards a group of people or one person or a sibling, a partner, a parent, something like that. It's very common with parents, very common that you feel like you're not living up to your parents' expectations of you. Not in every case, but this is a common one. Um, And it can be this feeling that you're just not good enough. Like you feel like you're falling short. You feel like you're a failure in someone's eyes. You feel like you're just not good enough. And it really affects your life. It affects your day to day. And you end up, if you're not dealing with these feelings, a lot of people end up kind of engaging in behaviors that end up being, you know, self-destructive or or, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like self-sabotaging behaviors. It's almost like something builds up, builds up, builds up, builds up, and then they end up doing a behavior that's sabotaging because they almost feel so much like a failure that they have to kind of do something to, um, you know how I've spoken about this idea of confirmation bias and you've got this internal working model of yourself and this image that you have of yourself and sometimes when people struggle so much they end up being like well I am a fucking idiot see I did fucking go and do that and I did break that or I didn't rock up to work this time because you know I'm obviously an idiot I'm obviously fucked I'm obviously this it's almost like the pressure gets too much they bubble over and then they start from scratch again and then it builds and builds and builds and that's what happens when you don't deal with these emotions very common in men because men don't like to talk about their feelings to a lot of people or they might only have this one person that they talk about their feelings with or they might be ashamed to talk about it whereas in general um, women are more likely to talk about their emotions but this is you know of course these feelings are felt by everybody or maybe not everybody but by a lot of people. Now, this is also coupled with negativity, low self-esteem, low confidence, um, insecurities, shyness as well. But a lot of people who are, who are outwardly confident may suffer silently with feelings of inadequacy in certain areas of their life, but maybe not every area. Like you might be someone that like, I'm fucking confident. My friends adore me. I'm really good at this thing, but I'm letting my father down because I'm not doing X, Y, Z. So there's this one little demon living inside your brain, which affects you day in, day out, but it doesn't mean that you're insecure across the board with other things. Okay. Now, if you struggle with this, it's likely going to affect your performance in your career, your motivation and your drive for yourself, for personal things that you want to do for yourself, that level of motivation. Um, And it's also going to, of course, affect your mental health and your well-being. 
because you're going to search for these quick hits of reward or happiness, but not put any time and effort into the work behind the scenes to do what you truly want to do for yourself, for your journey, for your purpose. So whoever you're trying to seek approval from, forever you, for, for whoever it is that you think, if that person approves of me, then I'll feel adequate. Um, you try and do little things to please that person or that group of people. So that way it keeps them at bay and it keeps you kind of relieved. But you never feel truly happy when they are approving of you. It's more a sense of relief, okay? Um, So like I said, this is common with parents, with children towards parents. Of Normally it's the same sex, like the role model parent, which is normally the same sex parent, but not always. But it's this feeling that you just have not lived up to what they wanted you to do or you've let them down Um, You're always trying to impress them. You're always trying to be their best bud because you just want their approval. And once you have that approval, you think you'll be okay. You'll think you'll be good enough as a person that you'll, you'll be able to carry on their legacy or whatever it is, okay? Now, what I want you to do is I want you to think about the meaning that you give to your failure because this is going to be a really, really big one when coming to terms with your feelings of inadequacy. If you're feeling like a failure, you're basically telling yourself, I'm not good enough, okay? I'm falling short. I'm not good enough. But the thing is that you will never be good enough if you are aiming to be good enough in the opinion of somebody else. Because people's opinions, an opinion is not a stable thing. It's not measurable. It's not tangible, okay? They're not really real. They're very flippant, okay? And it's very dependent on people's emotions. So they're not this grounded thing. So that means that your measuring stick is this fucked arbitrary thing, right? So if that's what you're measuring your adequacy against, someone else's opinion, you're fucked. You're never going to be good enough, ever, right? And if your goal is to make someone proud and that's the goal, again, you're going to struggle so hard because I can guarantee you, even when you make that person proud, it is not going to give you long-term happiness or satisfaction. It will give you relief and maybe joy in the moment, but mainly relief. And then once that's worn off, it's like, yeah, shit, okay, do I need to keep making them proud? Do I need to this? Do I need to that? But if you don't have something that you're doing for yourself, that's your purpose that's carrying you through, your why for doing things, or even just a passion, you don't have to call it a purpose. I think a lot of people get tied up in the word purpose because they think it's got to be something big and grand. So forget it. It doesn't have to be a purpose. But the thing that gets you up in the morning, the thing that you get excited about, the thing that makes you want to live each day every morning, if you don't do that for yourself – then you're always going to find a way or someone's always going to find a way that makes you feel like you fell short. Now, back to the idea of failure. How are you looking at failure? Okay, I've already spoken about failure in the past, talking about how for me, failure, I normally only use that word when you fail to take action or where you fail to attempt, things like that. But let's let's look at the word failure. And what are you, what are you considering to be a failure? Because If you set your goals so big and so grand and then you fail at it because you didn't hit the goal but you just fell slightly short, then it's really not that bad to be a failure because you got 98% there. You didn't quite get there but you got nearly there and you might still call yourself a failure, right? So being a failure in your own eyes doesn't have to be that much of this heavy label to yourself. For example, let's get dramatic and let's say if your goal was to run every single day, five kilometers every day for the next 10 years and not doing that is failure in your eyes, then you're probably going to be a failure, right? Even if you only missed out on five days in the 10 years, 
you still technically failed. There's just too many external factors that are at play that are going to get in your way from running every single day for the next 10 years, right? Something's going to happen. Something's got to get in your way. Maybe you have to be on a fucking 24-hour flight. Maybe you got the flu, you know? So pretty much what I'm trying to say is pay attention to how you word your goals and how you feel if you don't complete them. Because if you have massive, massive goals and massive, massive dreams, the likelihood of quote unquote failing is a little bit higher because you've set the bar so high that even if you got 95% there, you technically didn't hit the goal and you failed. But that's kind of a good thing. It's good to set the bar high. It's not a bad thing to fail because you got way further than had you not set a bar in the first place at all. So it's this idea of understanding what is the point of this goal in the first place, number one. What is the point of me wanting to do this in the first place? Number one, is it for me or is it for somebody else? Number two, is it for the outcome or is it for the process? And number three, is it to feel a sense of relief or is it because it's making me feel good every day that I do it, okay? Because if you think, oh, it's for somebody else, it's for the outcome and it's for a sense of relief, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. Because if you're doing it for someone else, for the outcome, for a sense of relief, and then you fail, you're going to feel like a failure. But if you're doing it for yourself, if you're doing it for the process, and if you're doing it to feel great every day, then if you didn't get all the way there, but you got halfway there or X amount of you know, distance there, you'll feel fucking good. You're like, can you fucking believe that I did 50% of that thing? How sick is that? You know, you're further than where you started. So it's all about framing what you consider to be failure and how much importance you put on a goal or doing something or, you know, and, and how that then reflects on your feelings of am I good enough or not? Okay, so now I want to go into a bunch of things. I think it's like seven things to help you deal with these feelings of inadequacy, okay? Number one, identity. Identify who or what is making you feel inadequate. It is so much easier when you yourself can pinpoint the cause. It will be amazing at how many people don't understand that it's a family member that they deal with every day that's making them feel this way or it's a a belief system or a group of people or a a cultural subgroup that makes them feel this way every single day. So identify, identify, identify. You don't have to eliminate the cause of it. You just have to know what it is so you can learn how to deal with it differently. Okay. So I'm not saying, oh my God, your parent makes you feel inadequate. Cut them out of your life. A lot of parents who make their children feel inadequate do not do it out of hatred. They do it out of love and maybe they themselves are just repeating a cycle that they were fed. That's standard across the board. It's not, it's not what it's, what, is what I think healthy, but this is very, very common, okay? So it's not a bad thing, but it's now your responsibility because it's your life. So it's your responsibility to identify it and then be like, okay, now that I've shed light on it and now that I can identify it and remove emotion, now I can learn how to deal with this situation because while your parent maybe got stuck with this shitty card where they were fed this as a child growing up and now they're feeding it to you. You don't have to be. You can have the awareness and you can change it. And if that upsets your parent in the short term, so be it, okay? Or if that upsets X amount of people or your family or whatever, it is what it is, okay? I also want you to identify where your language is coming from as well. So if you're always saying, oh, I'm the dumb one or they're the smart one in our relationship or in our family, always pointing the compliments to somebody else um, or I'm so bad at anything academic or I'm so bad at sticking to my goals, I'm so bad, 
then you're going to be ensuring that this is going to be the case subconsciously and that will then fuel these feelings of inadequacy. So two things I want you to identify. Number one, identify where these feelings are coming from and number two, identify what you're saying about yourself out loud and quietly to yourself. So if you're always saying those things to yourself, change your language to my strengths lie in dot, 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 or I'm really working on improving X, Y, Z, or I'm starting to learn how to, or I'm getting better at. There's always things you can do that isn't a straight up, I'm shit at this, I'm dumb, I'm not the smart one, I'm really bad at setting goals. You know, this you can really turn it around and it still be the truth, okay? Because you have to say something that sounds true to you. Number two, stop allowing comparisons. If your friends, parents, partner, whoever is comparing you to someone constantly, this happens often with siblings for a lot of people. I get, I get written to all the time about comparison against siblings. If people are comparing you to your sibling, stop allowing it. Just stop. Literally put your hand up to their face and say, no, thank you. Tempting to hear you compare me to somebody and make me feel like shit, but no thank you, not today. Just stop accepting it. Do not sit there, do not cop it, do not listen to it, do not hear it, do not have it, okay? Stop allowing comparisons. When you make it clear that you will not have a bar of these comparisons, pitting, having you pit against somebody else, people will eventually get tired of it. Who cares if they call you sensitive? Who cares if they call you whatever? Who cares? It's their opinion, none of your business. Their problem, not yours. Next, number three, find clarity. A big reason why it's so hard to shake this feeling is because you don't have a clear understanding of who you are and where you want to be headed. So often you're so clouded with who you should be um, and how you should act and and what you should do for your ex- these people in your life that you don't know what you want in your life. You don't know who you are and what your journey is, okay? You get so clouded by what other people want from you that you never really stop to ask yourself, what do I want, okay? And you might, and do you know what? If this is the case for you, it's probably too daunting to say, who do I want to be? What do I want to have? What do I want to do? It's probably too hard because you've never had the opportunity to think, if I were to live just for me, what would my life look like? So instead... You can have a clear goal that's a feeling instead to start with. So you might think, okay, I might not know the answer to these things yet, but I can find clarity in something and that's a feeling. I want to feel liberated. I want to feel stress-free. I want to feel genuine joy when I wake up. I want to feel light emotionally, okay? There's a feeling that you know what it feels like that you want to feel. So if you don't know exactly who you want to be yet or what you want to be or what you want to do, that's fine. But you do know the feeling that you want to feel every day. That's what you want to have clarity around. Because once you know the feeling and once you get very clear on what feeling you want to have, it makes it so much easier to turn around and think these people can get fucked. I don't need their approval. So having this clarity, this mental clarity is key to feeling confident within yourself and feeling more grounded with with you changing things about your life and becoming more confident, becoming more assertive, becoming more you, okay? So like I said, the thing doesn't have to be specific. It can just be a feeling, right? 
This is what's going to help you steer yourself towards something. It's going to get the wheels moving. It's going to start picking up that momentum, momentum, momentum. But before you know it, you're going to be like, that's what I want. That's what I want to do. Bang, 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 bang. Okay. But start with one thing that you can be really clear on that helps shake away all these other, all this other white noise that's, that's kind of interfering with you, making you feel like you're not good enough. Because when you start working towards something that has importance and has weight, then other things start falling away because this is the priority now. I'm going to wake up and my priority is to feel this every day. And if you get in the way of that, that is just too bad for you, okay? If you get in the way of that by means of making me feel awful, then that is your fucking problem and there is nothing that I can do about it and there's nothing that I am going to do about it. Next, number four. Awareness through asking yourself questions, okay? Awareness is the best thing you can do when you're feeling um, inadequate, when you feel like you're just not enough, when you feel that you're letting someone down. You have to have awareness of yourself and awareness of the dynamic that you have within your relationships to other people and to communities, okay? So you ask yourself often, all the time, every day if you feel really inadequate, how is this working for me? How is this dynamic working for me? How is this feeling that I feel every day working for me? Not well for a lot will be the answer most of the time. Not fucking well. I feel shit, okay? So it's not working for me. Is this making me happy? Genuinely. Me as an individual, is it making me happy? Am I striving to be happy or am I striving to feel less pressure? So in order to feel less pressure, I succumb to what people want from me and I just quickly do it to make them feel happy and then temporarily I don't feel pressure. So am I doing this to make me feel happy or make me feel less pressure? Am I striving to be happy or am I striving to be accepted? Okay, two very different things. And then are these people my people? Sometimes you're just with the wrong people. Sometimes you're just hanging around the wrong group of friends. Sometimes you're hanging with the wrong religious group. Sometimes you're hanging with the wrong community. They're just not your people. Sometimes there's so many people feel I was just born in the wrong country. I was born in the – it's because you feel like these people are not your people and that is okay. Maybe you need to shake it up and find your people. Ask yourself, are these my people? If, if there's so much pressure on me to be someone that I'm not, are they really my people? Number five, get rid of the word should. There is no should, okay? You are who you are. When we feel inadequate, we often say, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that or I should have been this or I should have become that. By whose standards? Who's setting the standard of should? Who's setting the should, Okay. These feelings that you are not who you should be or who you should have become, okay? So often on the Facebook group DMs, all of that, I get people say to me, I'm in my early 20s, I'm 24 and everyone around me knows what they're doing but I feel like I'm lost. I hate, I'm halfway through my degree, I hate it, you know, and I don't know what to do. I feel like, I feel like I'm failing and I haven't even, you know, finished uni. When you're feeling this, firstly – don't compare yourself to other people around you saying, oh, everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone's on their own journey. Everyone's got their own bullshit, their own successes, their own wins and their own losses. So don't pit yourself against the people around you thinking that it's all good for everyone and you're the only one struggling. We're all on our own path. So don't remove that. But in this scenario, you thinking I should know what I'm doing by now I can guarantee you that statement is going to stop you from attempting a whole bunch of things in your life. If you're thinking I should have my undergrad done by now, I should have my shit together by now and I'm 25, 
then what are the chances? What do you think the chances are of you starting from scratch now? Something brand new, pretty fucking low because you're going to think, oh, while it sucks and while I hate it, imagine starting again. That takes me even further back, all this shit. Remove the word should when it comes to what you're doing with your life, okay? Because it's going to slow you down to a halt and you're going to be just absolutely paralyzed because you're not going to know what's right and what's wrong and you're going to disappoint this person and, and it's, oh, it's all too late. And then you're going to end up in a job that you hate because it's what you know best. So there is no should, okay? I only found what I truly, truly, truly wanted to do after 30. People find it after 60. Listen to my podcast on It's Never Too Late, okay? Stop using the word should. Number six, take a break from impressing people, even if it's for one day. Wake up tomorrow and say, today, I'm not going to impress anyone. Anyone. My goal is not to impress anyone. I might impress people because I'm just living so freely that by default they get impressed by me just being a lord walking down the street. But I'm not going to try to impress anybody today, okay? You can't live your life hoping that that one person will think you're good enough, hoping that your father is going to think that you're good enough. Because even if you succeed, you only achieve short-lived relief. But you're never going to achieve that feeling of purpose, that why, that, that happiness, that inner peace that comes from living your life for you, ever. You'd never achieve it. Last one, number seven, talk and share. Speak to somebody about this. Sometimes when you talk about these feelings of inadequacy, feeling like I'm just not living up to this person's expectations of me, I'm just not, I'm just not, I'm just not. Sometimes when you say it out loud, you yourself feel like, wait a minute, that's fucked. Like you, you almost, almost can come out in defense for yourself just hearing you say it out loud. Because if you think, oh, if my best friend said that to me, how would I defend them? How would I be protecting them? How would I want to give them the motivation to, you know, step away from that cycle in, in their life? Pick a safe person to talk to, a best friend, someone who's, who you know will be accepting of what you're talking about, who will be an open, safe space to talk to about. Or pick a therapist to speak to about this, to give you tools to kind of move past these feelings, okay? Guys, hopefully that all helped. I'm going to go over the seven steps very quickly again. So number one is identify. So identify what exactly is making you feel inadequate and what language you are using around yourself. Step two, stop allowing comparisons. Put a stop to it. Bang. No, thank you. Number three, find clarity of what feeling you want to feel. Number four, awareness through questions to yourself. Number five, get rid of the word should. Number six, take a break from impressing people even for one day. And number seven, talk and share. Talk out loud and share. Guys, I love you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. As always, please remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.